And this is a, a lesson that I had prepared for a couple of weeks ago, and uh, God directed otherwise. But we are back today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. In other words, you have not only received it, but you have implemented it. There has been actions that you have taken with this knowledge. Verse number two, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. In other words, still yet, there is more than profession. There is a life that is changed by this gospel. Verse number three, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, and how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And finally, verse number four, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. If you don't mind, let's just pray that God would speak to our hearts, that his word would come alive this morning. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful, Lord, for your word, for your promise, Lord, for your spirit. Lord God, that you did not simply give words, but that you have allowed us to be reborn, that there is your spirit that dwells inside, that gives us wisdom, that gives us direction, that gives us understanding, Lord, that empowers us, Lord, to follow you, Lord, we pray, let that word come alive in your presence today, we pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. Probably for most of us, this is a repeat, uh, but I don't think that we can get too far away from the gospel. Amen? It is the power that saves. Uh, gospel simply means the good news, good message. Uh, it is more than just saying the gospel truth. It is more than swearing on the Bible or saying this is the gospel truth. It's more than that, and, and we get that, right? It is simply as Corinthians here defines, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And we have to understand that it is not simply or merely preaching history, because history by itself has no power. Yes, it is a fact that God roped Himself in flesh, that He took on our sins, that He was crucified, that He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again. And that's all well and good. But there would be no power to it if it was just simply, that's the good news. But that He has allowed us to partake of that death and of that burial and that precious resurrection. Amen? Christ died for our sins, buried and rose again. Conquered death, enabling eternal life. Salvation is available to all those who used to be a buzzword we had around here a lot. All those who respond in faith, right? It is our response. It is not simply hearing it. It is not simply agreeing with it. Not simply being okay with it. It is a response that is required. And saving faith includes application of the gospel in our life, identifying with Christ in this death, in this burial, in this resurrection. And how do we do that? Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. We see that word. We've already been talking about that. Therefore, we are buried... Skipping down to verse... Not skipping down. Verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism in death, into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we're talking about death, about burial, and then this newness of life. Verse number five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. We see this painted here again, this talk of this death, and somehow we identify with his death. We see it talking about uh, this burial that we are somehow identifying with in this new birth of this new life, this resurrection that it speaks of. Now, I get it. Modern Christianity is afraid to teach this stuff. No one wants death, burial, and resurrection. We've all heard it. We don't want it. But here's the truth of it. Not that these other topics are not important, but if the present day church has learned to love, maybe learned to forgive, overcome, have financial peace, know how to file your taxes, and know how to get along with your spouse. All that's important. All of that is good. But if we have not followed and understand the plan of salvation, what are we doing? If we have not applied something that gets us from this mortal life to an eternal, immortal life, what in the world are we doing? We must have the death, burial, and resurrection. We can't get away from it. It must be at the core of who we are, regardless of the programming, regardless of the cool kids' activities, of what the youth is doing, and where they're traveling, where all of that happens. If we do not understand and have not personally applied the death, burial, and resurrection in our life, we've wasted a lot of time. Maybe we have actually even made this life more convenient. But in the scope of eternity, what is this life but a drop, but a vapor, a fading flower or grass? And I've been stirred in my spirit at times, especially here lately. And, and, and you know, sometimes we, we, we're so loving. I, I think we're loving. <laughs> we, we try to be. If you are new to this place and you haven't felt loved, we're working on that, but, but sometimes it's really easy to come in and, and to become a part of the body, and, and, and we welcome people, and we do, but no one says, hey, you can't come back unless you've, you've, you've died, unless you've been buried, or unless you've been resurrected. We don't do that, right? But it is core to salvation. And so here, here's what I want. I, I don't care if this is your first time sitting in, in one of these chairs or that you've been here uh, regularly in the past. If you have not applied part of what I'm getting ready to talk about today, you need to. And it needs to be today. I'm just being really honest. You need the death, burial, and the resurrection. It is the gospel. Let's, let's look at this. We, uh, for, again, a lot of us, this is just refresher, but I think that's good too. The death. What? what that don't sound like any fun. <laughs> you know, let's be completely honest. Most of the core things that are really important spiritually are not that fun. No, I, I mean, I'm serious. We, we talk about love. We talk about loving your spouse. You know, it was Valentine's Day. We could talk about all those things. Those are fun, and we could share cool stories. Uh, but when you get into the, the really core things of death, that's not that fun. As Christ died, we must also die out to the, to the old man. We must let go 
of the past. We must let go of sin. Now understand that when we die out to the old man, we die out to the flesh, it does not eliminate the ability to sin. It does not totally get rid of the flesh that we have to wake up and deal with every day. We still have to deal with those things. But we are dying out. It's a constant, continual war that we're in. Death is putting, uh, uh, putting to death the control of sin um, or living for self. Romans says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. We are dying out to the flesh. We're dying out to sin. We can overcome temptation. We must overcome temptation. And if we fall, we, we are, or fortunately, this is not a one-time deal. Uh, we know that uh, the scripture says, uh, talks about dying daily, right? Sometimes it is a regular <laughs> uh, dying out to self. We, we get it right and then we mess up. We say things we shouldn't. We treat people like we shouldn't. We didn't like... That's not what the spirit inside of me says is okay. And so we continually have to die out to this old man. We have to die out to sin. Now, I get it. The, the modern world says, well, this is just who I am. This is how God made me. Are you saying God made a mistake? This is really good for me. I actually almost said something I didn't. It took me a long time. But I didn't say it. And now you're wondering, what was he going to say? I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> that is how I was made. That's, how, that's the same thing my mama dealt with. That's the same thing my daddy dealt with. This is just who we are. And, and, and there is a lot of truth to that. And I understand that. I will agree with you. But I think it is core to understanding, and this is later on, that we die out so that we can be buried, so that we can be reborn. It doesn't matter what you struggle with or how you are or what you feel like your weaknesses are. We have the opportunity to be reborn. And here I am jumping ahead. Paul said to the Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse number 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words... There's just always forgiveness and grace is just here. We just do whatever we want, right? Just let grace cover it. He says, no, verse number two, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's a charge, I'm not saying that it's easy. Verse number six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Again, we're identifying with that death. We are crucifying the old man. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse number 7. For he that is dead to sin is freed from sin. Verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And finally verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you for Ye are not under the law, but under grace. We are continually dying out to sin. There is not a badge, if we were in the Boy Scouts, there's not a 30-year badge that said, all right, you've now satisfied all learning possible. No, we continue to die every day. This is a constant daily battle. We are dying out to the flesh. 
First Peter chapter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. Repentance is where death begins. As we repent, we are dying out to the flesh. We are saying the things that motivated me, the things that I might have even enjoyed. Hey, let's be honest, sin can be enjoyable. You know, my, my grandmother was, great-grandmother was really brutally honest, especially with family. And she said, if you're going to act like you're in church, don't do that. The world's enjoyable. Just go enjoy it. What, what she was meaning is, don't just show up in church and live any old way you want and just think that everything's fine. You might as well go enjoy the world. You're not leaving here and going where I'm headed. She just had a way of being really frank. Sometimes we need people to speak that into our lives. Say, hey, Jason, you're going to have to straighten up. So this death, this where does it happen? We've already kind of given away. When does it happen? It happens at repentance. When we repent, just by the very definition, it means to turn from sin. It is a miraculous changing of the mind. And that's actually true definition. It's not just a catchphrase that you hear Pastor and I regularly mention. But what happens at repentance is truly a miraculous thing. It is a powerful thing. We die to sin. Uh, we leave its influence at an altar and we turn to Jesus. As the psalmist wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. It is where we truly admit, I need a Savior. So you want to know what accepting your personal Savior is like? It starts in repentance. It admit, God, I've messed up. God, I, I, I've been influenced by sin. I was born into sin. God, I need you. That's where repentance begins. It is a very powerful thing. I think sometimes those of us that have been around a while, we maybe forget what it was like when maybe you came into this church or a church for the first time, dirty and stained by the sins of the world. And you came to an altar, felt something stirring at your heart. And you said, God, I need you. And you began to pour out your past. Say, God, forgive me. And the tears running down your face. And there were emotions that were so overwhelming. And there was relief. You felt good. There was a peace. There was contentment. There were all of these things. It is a powerful spiritual experience. Yes, it starts with our own admissions. It is a very human thing. But let's not undersell what actually happens at repentance because it is a miraculous changing of the mind. We thought one thing, but now we are resigning to follow another. So it is very much like a weight is lifted. It is very much, we feel the presence of God. We feel His Spirit. We feel Him. And so here's where a lot of people get deceived. Because they have felt this powerful presence of God as He graciously forgave them and His blood flowed from Calvary down to 2020 and, and covered their sins and they feel that warmth and that loving God wrap His arms around them and it is such a powerful experience and they feel that, they think, yes, that's it. And that's just the beginning. 
We have just now been crucified with him. We have just now died with him. And there is still the flesh to war against. And thankfully, he's not going to leave us to battle it on our own. So we die out in an altar. That's what we call it. What, what is an altar? It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of death. It is where the animal uh, was killed and now sacrificially offered to God. And we do it ourselves, but it is now a living sacrifice. We say, God, no longer my will, but your will. I, the things I lived for before this moment, I'm leaving them at an altar. And God, however you would lead me and direct me from this part forward, I will be a living sacrifice. We have died. We have crucified the old man. What do we do after something dies? We bury it. Yeah, I mean, some of us throw it in the trash and then some, yeah. I'm not talking about people. Don't get, see, this is where I think in my mind, I see what I'm talking about and I don't put it in words. You know, I, I've often wondered, it, some of you hunters, you know you've done this, is where you quartered it up, like I'll cut that up later, and you put it in a garbage bag and you froze it. And you just never got around to it. And now it's freezer burned and you're like, I'm just going to put that in the trash. Can you imagine what that what somebody might think when they see those large bones and you know <laughs> in the garbage and like what why all that uh, I don't know you know something inside of me even some small animal has met its demise in front of my house by some passing vehicle there's something inside of me I I go scoop it up and I bury it you know, if you go along my fence line, if they ever move the fence line and somebody digs that up, everything that has ever died in front of my house is now buried. You have to try to visually remember, where was the last thing that I buried? So I can go a little bit farther down. Wow. Nowhere near the spiritual part that we were headed. But we bury, we bury the things that are dead. We don't leave them to stink and to rot. And spiritually... It is not simply sufficient that we have crucified the old man. It must be buried. Romans chapter 6, verse number 3, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into the Father, Son, and... No, we'll get to that later. Baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. So it's not enough that we were just... We just died out to self, but now we are to be buried with Him. How are we buried with Him? Scripture says very plainly in baptism, verse number 4, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. So we have died and now we're buried. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Getting into the next part that we'll get into in a few moments. But we are to be buried with Him. Colossians says that this way, buried with Him in baptism. It's restated throughout the New Testament. We identify with Him in burial. We are covered. We are buried in the grave. Baptism study you know, could lead to more. We don't have time to go into every facet of baptism, but understand that baptism simply by definition is not sprinkle. Don't go out to the road and sprinkle a few little crumbs of dirt onto that deceased animal. I bury it. 
It gets submerged by definition. So if we are to be buried with him in baptism, bury and baptism to mean to be covered. And so we do that and we do it in his name. We are buried with him. You know, we go to the, to the graveyard and it said, here lies a good man, right? You could put that hopefully on a lot of different tombstones. It really doesn't mean a whole lot. It's simply a title or a descriptor of someone that was there. Sometimes he was a father, he was a son, he was an uncle. He could have been a lot of things and to a lot of people and so could a number of other people. But the real power to identify who this person was is when it says the name. We know the name. His name is Jesus. God robed himself in flesh. And now we know his name is Jesus. He did not send a new dimension of himself into Acts to somehow experience. But no, he said, I, I, I will come again to you. I, I will be the comforter. I will be the prince of peace. I will pour out my spirit. It is not simply another part, but it is simply God Almighty. We say the name of Jesus. It's not a facet a part, a limited power supply. It is the fullness. Because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's possible I won't make it through all this, but we'll end where we end. How about that? We must be Baptized. We must be buried with him in baptism. It doesn't matter how of a miraculous of experience and the things of God that you felt and God speak to you in his presence you felt when you repented and died out to him. That was just the beginning of the process. You must be buried with him in the baptism. Baptism doth also now save us. We must be baptized. Matthew says baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't plural because hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We can't have it both ways. He either is or he isn't. He is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's why also Luke, he records it slightly different. Because he talks about, when he's recording Jesus' uh, message, the Great Commission, he says uh, that we should preach repentance and remission of sins in my name, his name. Well, how do those two agree? One says do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and one says do it in his name. There's not disagreement. We understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, all these three are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It has to be that way, or else the Old Testament's no good, and then what's the New Testament built on? Heroes of the Lord our God is one. We must be baptized in his name. I, I, I'll go a little bit farther, just in case I don't get to it later in my notes, because we're headed that way. I, a lot of people, like, I, I was baptized before. I say, you know, well, how were you baptized? Well, I don't know. I was seven when I was baptized, and now I'm 47. I honestly don't remember, you know, where were you baptized? I don't know. It was a church in town. I don't, I don't know what. It matters. 
Well, it was a religious experience. I, was get, I gave my heart to God and I did it in baptism. I was following. It does matter. Because we'll find in Acts that there were those that were baptized and they were baptized uh, by John the Baptist himself. It was a religious, powerful experience. And they were baptized. They, they were dying out to self. All of the uh, uh, things that were going on here were exactly what we expect when we baptize today. But when they found out that they were baptized unto John's baptism and that they were not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, what did they say? Let's be baptized again. Hear me. I, I'm not trying to make you feel less than who you are. But if you're in this place today and, and you've never been baptized or you don't know how you were baptized, why take a chance? If it was important in Acts, it's important in 2020, of February 2020. We must be buried with Him and we must be buried in the name of Jesus. If we're going to take on the name in baptism, if we're going to take on His name, it better be said over you when you baptize. Why in all about throughout the book of Acts, every time that they baptize somebody, they do it in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of... Why? It's the name. The power is in the name. Amen. We could go farther. But we are buried with Him in baptism. The precious part. We die out. We repent. That's the beginning. We... We're buried with him in baptism. We take on his name in baptism. But then we get to be resurrected with him. Romans chapter 6, verse number 4 and then 5. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death. So we got that part. That like as Christ was raised up, this is the fun part, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we're talking about the present, that there is a resurrection. Verse number 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It is talking figuratively here about both. And we get that context from verse 4 and 5 together. Understand that, yes, we will be resurrected and this mortal shall put on immortality. But also here in this life, verse 4 makes it very clear that there is a new life that happens. There is a rebirth that Jesus tells Nicodemus that you're going to have to be born again. And he did not understand because these things had not happened yet. But you're going to be born of the water and of the spirit. We must be born again. Romans chapter 8 verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Understand that Spirit, we feel His presence in repentance. No doubt about it. His blood flows, we feel that warmth, we feel His love. When people get baptized, I hear it all the time, it feels like a weight has been lifted off of me. And it's true, it is a spiritual experience. But the most precious part is not that we have just felt His presence, but that we are filled with His presence. That we are born again. We death, burial, and resurrection. 
That, and how do we know that we have been born again, that we have been born of the Spirit, that we have been raised again? We are filled with His Spirit. And the Scripture makes it plain that there is an evidence of that infilling of His Spirit. And Acts says that, uh, and in fact, Jesus prophesies about it. They shall speak with new tongues. In the Old Testament, let's not go too far. The Old Testament says with stammering lips and another tongue. So he speaks to his people. It's prophesied from Old Testament and Jesus talked about it. And here it is, this outpouring of the Spirit, that infilling of the Spirit, not filling the Spirit, not being washed and buried with the Spirit, but now filled with his Spirit. It happens in that resurrection. Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, so again, it's an infilling, it's not being around it, not filling it, but being filled with it. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive, give life to your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. There is a spiritual direction and discernment that begins to happen when you're filled with his spirit. How do you understand, uh, you know, we could just keep getting crucifying ourselves over and over and over and over and over. And, and there's truth to that. We need to die daily. Don't get me wrong. But God doesn't want us just that part over, just dying all the time. He wants us to be reborn. And when we are filled with His Spirit, now He can begin to give us direction. And some things that used to trip us up don't trip us up anymore. Hey, let's not get too conceited in ourselves. It's not just that we suddenly develop self-control. Now, sometimes we need that too. But the Spirit of God that dwells in us quickens us. It makes us alive. We understand spiritually things that we did not understand before when we are born again, when we are filled with His Spirit. There is newness of life. He is not trying to remake the broken person that you used to be. He wants you to be born again, to be completely reborn. John chapter 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, except a man be born of the water. We got that part, right? Baptism. And of the Spirit, that's that resurrection, that infilling of his Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself. If you're not born of the water, and you're not born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. I know a lot of scriptures here today, but hey, it's a lot of Bible. I'm not using all of it. Um, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. There is that resurrection life that we began to live and breathe and move, and we began to hear His voice, and He begins to direct, and conviction begins to move, and He begins just to move us in other areas, and, and giftings of the Spirit begin to happen. Hey, how do I get those gifts that it talks about in the New Testament, the gifts of the Spirit? It won't happen at repentance. That'll be the flesh. It's not just going to happen in baptism. It's not until we're filled with His Spirit that those things can begin to happen. So we've talked about a lot of different speakers, ministers in the Word of God. Let's look at them kind of individually. What did each of them say? What did John have to say about this salvation thing? So John preached repentance and water baptism. 
in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what we think of as the Gospels, right? Mark 1 and 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for remission of sin. So he's preaching baptism. Luke chapter 3 and verse number 8, we see a little bit more of what John is preaching. He says, talks about bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. So we see that repentance thing thrown in there. And begin not to say within themselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. In other words, we, we, we began to see that there's this call that John is saying we're going to die out to self, and he's preaching baptism. But John also pointed to an outpouring of the Spirit that was to come. John chapter 3, verse number 8, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, so he's talking about, we talked about, he's talking about repentance, he's doing baptism, but then he talks about something that's to come. It's not over yet. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John preached repentance, baptism, and look for the one that's going to bring this spiritual infilling, baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. What did Jesus preach? Well, We've already covered a lot of it, but John chapter 8, verse number 24, I said, therefore unto you, that he shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. We've got to believe that he is. We covered that, right? That A lot of times that happens at repentance. We recognize the need for a Savior and who he is. Luke chapter 13, verse number 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent... You shall all likewise perish. I tell you, and then again in verse number five, he says again, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So he said, you've got to believe that I am, and you've got to repent. This is Jesus himself talking. We already read it in John chapter three and verse number five. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's preaching, believe that I am, repent, be baptized or born, be buried in water, and be filled with the Spirit. All right, we've move ahead. Verse, uh, we go to Peter's teaching. Often the spokesman for the church says, "When you profess that Jesus was, uh, when you confess that Jesus was Christ, the Son of God, uh, when he confessed that uh, Jesus gave him, Scripture says, the keys of the kingdom." Uh, of heaven and talks about he should be able to bind things, loose things in earth and in heaven. He is passing on. It, it's a figurative thing here, but we understand it makes more sense when we get to Acts, right? That, that Jesus gave to Peter the keys of the kingdom. He is acknowledging Peter will unlock certain things. Now, it's interesting, and it can't pass over it, even though we're getting running short of time. Acts chapter 1 and 8, let's understand this, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I like that part. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts or part of the earth. Understand what's happening here. If you can look at a map, it's, it's like concentric circles that are starting to grow, that it is going to be unlocked first in Jerusalem, then we're going to expand into all Judea, and then in Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And sure enough, Peter, Acts chapter 2, the one that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to, preached the first message and opened up salvation to the Jews in all of, of all places, 
Jerusalem, right? This, this enter, just as the Scripture said. And then Acts chapter 8, it now goes to the Samaritans. And then Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles or the rest of the world is represented here. These keys are continually unlocking salvation to all of humanity in the book of Acts. So what did Peter preach? What was this key that he is passing on and unlocking to the Jews in Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world? We see it summarized in thus us in Pentecost. We like this, 238 of Acts. Then Peter said unto them, repent. No disagreement with anything we've heard yet, right? That, that agrees with what Jesus said. That's what agrees with what everyone else said. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we see agreement of everything. We also see that this is the gospel, the death and repentance, the burial and baptism and the resurrection, the infilling, that rebirth of being filled with His Spirit. And it is not just Peter and everyone else just didn't know what he was saying, but Scripture makes it plain that he stood up with the twelve, that all were in agreement, that there was not dissension, there was not confusion when it came to the disciples of, how are we doing this? Wait a minute here. We never heard this before. We ought to discuss this. No. Jesus had said it. They had been hearing it over and over. It confirmed Old Testament. They knew without a doubt this is salvation. Death, burial. The gospel is more than a historical event. It is salvation to us. Not just that His blood flows, but that we die with Him. We are crucified, the old man. We are buried with Him in His name. We take on His name and we are filled with His Spirit. Amen. Running short of time. We're going to skip just a, a couple of things. This, is, this was not strange to, Jerusalem, or to the Jews of the day, to Israel. Uh, understand, they had seen this type and shadow. This was not brand new to them. It was the blood of a Passover lamb, right? That there was a lamb that had to be crucified, that had to die for the Passover, for the death angel that was going to pass over. Then they went through the Red Sea. Right? This is going through the water. And guess what? Their past tried to follow them, and it got swallowed up in the water. Hey, that's what happens in baptism. Isn't it? We die out we, where the blood is shed. We die, and then we are buried, and the past no longer can follow us on the other side. Amen. Amen. And then the cloud, the Lord's presence then descended and led them and guided them. Man, sounds a lot like death, burial, and resurrection to me. God gave the Ten Commandments. He had them to sanctify themselves, to set themselves apart. He had them to wash in water. And then He promised to come down and visit with them. Seems very similar, doesn't it? The tabernacle in the wilderness, there was an altar for animal sacrifices. Then there was a labor of water in which... They washed. And then the sacrifices were consumed with fire. The temple itself was divided between the holy place and the most holy. And the Ark of the Covenant containing the symbols of His power was in that Ark of the Covenant. And Moses, uh, that after Moses constructed and sacrificed and washed himself, sacrificed and washed 
the cloud then covered and filled the tabernacle. They were not surprised by any of this. The sacrifices of Israel, of the Israelites, the priests killed the animal. They were washed and it was burned, consumed with fire. It could go on and on and on. But even purification for leprosy, there was the blood, there was the water, the washing and the anointing of oil. And without that, they were cut off from society as those that had a leprosy. The purification of the spoils of war, guess what? They were washed with water and purged with fire. In Noah's day, God covered the earth with water. But then it was talked about next time it's fire. Hey, death, burial, and resurrection from Old Testament to New Testament, from the apostles, from Jesus himself, they all agree, repent. Ye must repent. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In the most precious part, you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen. As we all stand in this place, I know along in a lot of scriptures this morning, but let's not get so caught up in the worship and just being around God's people and the love that we feel of Jesus. All of that is wonderful and it is good. But make sure that you know that you are living a repented life. Know that you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way, no other example given. And that you've been filled with His Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues, just like they did all throughout the book of Acts. There's no other way that we find that people were filled with His Spirit. And if you haven't, that's your most important mission, is to satisfy those things. Can we ask that God would speak to us in our hearts right now? Lord Jesus.